What's up, church? I don't think I was supposed to dance like that. It just came out of me. I hear crickets. You know, the snow tried to stop us from service, but we still came. It doesn't matter. God's still doing things. Even when it snows in St. Louis, God still can handle it. Amen? We're thankful you're here. If you're a first-time visitor, we are so excited to see you. We want to meet you. We're grateful that you're here with us. So we hope you enjoy your experience. Last week, we talked about <clears throat> being hostage to your habits. I don't know if you remember, but I was tied up, and it was a little restrictive, especially when Nick tied my ankles. At one point, I fell down, and I thought, I'm going to pay for this later, and I did. My knees were bruised from hitting this floor, even as gentle as I did. We were saying how hostage, uh, habits confine us to a prison of failed expectations because our habits keep us from ever surpassing any expectation. We're bound to the habit. But this week, you know, being in this school, I'm always reminded of my childhood. And I had an endeavor that I was heartbroken over as a child that I thought it was my big, my big chance, my, my big dream coming true. Anybody remember the Mickey Mouse Club? M-I-C-K-E-Y. See you real soon. M-O-U-S-E. Mickey Mouse. And then, and then in the 90s, they kind of... They funked it up with some pop music. Back in the day, it was uh, Annette Funicelli or something. Black and white. This was color. I was into the color, not the, the black and white kind. And I wanted to move to Florida and try out. It was in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, the Mickey Mouse Club. If you wanted to audition, you could send the thing. At the end, it says, mail to, that's before they had email, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. And I found out they're going to have an audition in Chicago. That's as close as they got to St. Louis. And I was just all about it. The Mickey Mouse Club was about people who could dance, sing, act. They just liked to be a ham for whatever reason. And so I felt like it was my calling because I was good at acting silly. can't say stupid. I almost said stupid. Acting silly. But my mom and dad found out you had to move there. If you, wanted, if you made the Mickey Mouse Club, you had to move to Florida. So we're St. Louis people. We go to the lake. That's our life. We don't move places. So that was out the window. Well, then uh, a thing popped up with Channel 11. It was the next best thing, just as big, called Team 11. And Team 11 was this idea that they're going to build this team of young kids who could sing, dance, and do all the stuff. And they'd go to all the Channel 11-related events, and they would like be on TV and stuff. And it wasn't really the Mickey Mouse Club level of um, exposure, but it was pretty good for being you know, in the loo. So I went and tried out. My dad took me. We spent all day. I don't know if my dad remembers spending all day with me. And the first audition was you had to sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. It was horrible. It was awful. It was so embarrassing. But that's the song they, ch they picked. And you had to sing it like a pop singer. It was really awkward. And I remember the guy in line with me. He was 15. I was like 12. And he was, he was you know, good looking guy, fit, you know, for 15. Well, you know, I'm a 12-year-old looking at this guy. He was like big brother. I was chunky and uh, I didn't really like the way I looked. And he, to me, he looked like my ideal self someday. And he could sing and evidently he could dance and he was so nice and all through the process we we're like buddies and when we got to the dance part man I, I couldn't hang I was getting out of position evidently all these kids had choreography lessons and I didn't even know what that word was all I knew was a little Michael Jackson and a little Janet mixed in and I just learned that from watching old VHS tapes those were things before they had CDs in case you youngsters are wondering 
So we're doing the dance and they're like, okay, five, six, seven, eight. And they're like, okay. And then I'm like, I'm getting all lost. I'm like, man, I can't remember the steps. And I'm like, oh, I, this is not good. I don't think they're going to take me. And my dream's going to be crushed because I'm out of position. Well, lo and behold, I came home and there was a 48-hour window. They said, in 48 hours, if you don't get a call from us, we're sorry, but you didn't make it. Day one goes by, no call. Day two goes by, and the whole time I'm thinking, I know I nailed happy birthday, but man, I was out of position in those dance moves. I couldn't dance. I couldn't keep in position with the other guys, you know, when they're like doing whatever they were doing. I, I was just like, I was just like stumbling all over myself, and I just couldn't think that fast. I never danced formally. I didn't get the call. I was crushed in the promise of being on Team 11 and being with Buzz. I don't know if you remember Buzz, the TV commentator for Channel 11, but he was often up there with Team 11. They got to sing at Bush Stadium and do all these things. And my buddy in line, he made it. I didn't. Thank God that wasn't the end of my, my dreams, but I thought at that moment my life was over and I'd never make it to nothing. Kind of funny looking back. It was this big, but I was out of position. If I had been in position in that dance tryout, I would have been on Team 11 too. See, capitalizing on opportunities in life is all about positioning yourself to be ready when opportunity strikes. If we don't prepare ourselves for what we ask God to bless us with, we won't be able to handle or even recognize the blessing when it arrives because we're out of position. Look at the direction you're heading in in your life right now and ask yourselves, where am I trying to go? What steps do I need to take to get there? And most importantly, does this serve a purpose to glorify God? Well, why does that matter? That's everything you're gonna learn shortly. What is my position? My passage today is Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32, where Jacob, the mischievous one, as his name implies, brother of Esau, the hunter. Jacob, the shady character who stole his brother's blessing, stole his brother's birthright, though always hungry for God, is going to meet Esau after a long hiatus because his brother hated him because of all the bad stuff he did when they were kids. And during the process, Jacob has an encounter. If we go to verse 22, it says, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. You can all relate to that. Two wives, two maidservants, and 11 sons. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. Of, that's a big bill at Denny's. Even at Denny's, that's a big bill. They crossed over the fort at Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brick, the brook, and sent over what he had. But then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, all night. Now when he saw that he did not prevail, the man did not prevail against him, Jacob, he touched, which means boom, smack down, blow, blast, impaled, doesn't mean touch like that. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him, the man. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's what Jacob said to him. Jacob was no pushover. He was a pretty 
beefed up dude, I think, especially for being a cook. You know, cooking was his thing, but evidently he hit the weights because he was tangling with this man all night and the man couldn't get away from him. He said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. It was tradition to ask that. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? Because Jacob already knew who it was. And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of this place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over into Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped, limped on his hip where the man who was God touched his hip. Therefore, according to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle on the animal that is shrank, which is the hip socket. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. The title of my message today is Position Enables Promise. Touch three people and tell them, position enables promise. If you're out of position, you can't receive the promise. Jacob fought for position. You can have all the promise, which means potential in the world, but if you're out of position, when opportunity comes knocking, you're going to miss it. Got to have both. How do we get in position for God? Well, look at Jacob. He wasn't a perfect man, but he had a common attribute, kind of like David. He always wanted what God had for him. He always put God at the top of his list. And it starts with a reason. We can't get in position, which is action. We won't take action if we don't have a reason to. If we don't have a reason to think God is able to do better than what we're already doing for ourselves, why would we want to change the position we're already in? We won't trust God if we don't have a reason to. If I'm confident in myself, I don't need to look elsewhere. I don't need to look to God. See, ignorance, like a child, can make us think we already have the best solutions. So why do I need a reason to find something better, to change my position? Jacob was motivated for God's blessing. He had a reason already. He already knew that God was able. Jacob was hungry for the blessing since he came out of the womb. Remember, he stole the birthright from Esau. He stole the blessing from his dad. That was for Esau. And now here he is. He fought the man all night for what? The promise, which is the blessing. It's a pattern. He always wanted the best God for, had for him, even though he was a shady cook and a good cook. He was shady, mischievous, Jacob, his name. That's why God had to change his name. We often wrestle with our will versus God's will. That's a struggle we have all the time. We say, not my will be done, but your will here on earth, God, as it is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And then God says, okay, here you go, do this. And you go, I don't think I really need to do that. We start pushing back on God. It's a battle when when, when it's time to put your money where your mouth is, it's a battle with God. We justify reasons why God can't affect our real life situation in the real world. We build a divider between our God life and our personal life. But they're supposed to be one. But you got to have a reason to desire to be in position like Jacob. It starts with a reason. 
A friend of mine growing up, some of you may know him, his name was Andrew Souk. He was a neighbor I lived with, lived by since I was five years old. We grew up together, and we had our up and downs as friends. Sometimes we weren't good friends, sometimes we were. But I knew him so long, he was like family. And his dad was Buddhist. And Andrew was raised Catholic by his mother. And though he claimed to be Catholic, he didn't go to church, he didn't really know anything about God, he didn't really have any type of belief. But eventually, in our 20s, right before I got married, actually, his dad dies of cancer. And I don't remember why, maybe I was just trying to console him, but I remember sitting on his front porch at like 9 o'clock at night in the house he grew up in. We're grown men now. And I remember telling him about Jesus, which I had done before when we were kids, and he kind of always blew it off. And now I'm telling him about Jesus again because often when people are at that level, their hearts open up for God because now they are looking for a reason. And I tried to give, I tried to give him a Bible. And he said, well, that's great, but why would God let my dad die? What's, what reason do I have to serve a God that would let my dad die? And this is actually a very common question to new people getting ready to entertain the idea of serving Jesus. They go, why would God do that? And that's another message, but we are born into a world of sin, and sin comes with consequences and things that we don't necessarily understand. And by faith, we still trust in God, even when we do see things happen that don't make sense, and they hurt. And so it was hard to explain that to him in five minutes, which is about the window of time he gave me to spread the gospel to him. I could barely get a seed to him in five minutes. So he never found the reason. And I still pray to this day that one day he'll find the reason before he hits his grave because as long as he has breath in his lungs, he still has an opportunity to find new life in Christ. But as long as he don't have a reason, he won't change his position. Paul says we must become weak in our flesh in order for God to be strong in us by his spirit. You can't have both. We put God last on our list and only call when all else fails. But without a reason to know God has more for you, you can never be in position for his blessing. In my early 20s, I had another friend who was the nicest guy in the world. He had all the attributes of a godly life. And you think he would just be like, uh, uh, you know, WWJD all the time. And he said he was an atheist. But he was the nicest guy. He, he don't believe in God. And ironically, his mother started going to a church. And somehow, again, conversation broke one night. And he's telling me about his mom going to church. And he says, well, you know, she, she, she likes it. it. It makes her feel good. And I knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying it's just fodder for her mind to make her feel good about herself. It's a self-help clinic. I said, you don't have a reason to know yet that God has so much more than that because you haven't seen God change lives and perform miracles and heal the broken and heal the dead and heal the disease and all these things. You don't have a reason. That's why you still think you don't believe there is a God and you think your mom is just so weak-minded that she goes and just makes her feel good. I didn't say all that, but I wanted to because I didn't want to hurt him, but I felt like he needed to hear it, though I didn't have the guts at the time to tell him the truth, which was that. But he didn't have a reason. He'll never change his position until he finds a reason to look elsewhere outside of his own idolatry, which is his faith in himself. See, Jacob believed God could do more for him, and he demanded in a struggle all night, he battled all night, that I will not let you go until you bless me. That's pretty powerful. 
He fought him all night. He could have just let go. It's getting kind of hard. It's snowing. It's snowing, man. I'll just let you go. It's snowing out here in Penuel over the brook. He busted his hip. He's got a jankety hip now from this. That's how bad he wanted the blessing. That's faith. And God knew it. See, reason gives us something to fight for. Reason gives us purpose towards a goal. And God saw the faith that Jacob had in him, even though as a man he had a lot of shady attributes. But what mattered to God is that he was faithful and could handle what God was going to promise to him after he endured the struggle. So we understand we got to have a reason. So when we have a reason to serve God, what's the next thing we do? Okay, God, your will be done. Give me your supply, Lord. We call it provision. It's a fancy word that means supply, the supply of God. We're wrestling for God's provision. We're wrestling for provision now that we have a reason. And we say, God, we, we want to do this church thing. And God, we want to reach the world. And we need your supply, God. Send me the resources and I will do it, Lord. Send me your resources because I believe. We know he'll provide his supply once we have a reason and believe to seek his supply. We naturally ask God to supply our needs through prayer all the time because we believe he's able once we believe. We've gotten past the reason part. Now we ask for him to supply our needs, provide us provision. And we can't recognize provision when it comes without faith. We demand supply from God all the time. But when it arrives, we're out of position and we miss it. We waste it. We're not efficient when it arrives. An old saying I've heard in my family for years is, Prayers without legs. Anybody heard of that? Put some legs on those prayers, what the old timers used to say. I see it all the time. God, send us people. God, send us your heavenly will, God. Fall from the sky, Lord. Well, God works through men. The Bible was written through men by God. And everything that happened in the Bible happened through men, including Jesus and the things he did through the flesh. So things don't typically just fall out of the sky. You've got to put some legs on those prayers. And, and there's, you know, there's churches praying for people and praying for these things. And God said, I already sent you the supply like 10 times ago, but you're not getting it because you're out of position. So you keep asking me for something I already gave you, but you don't know how to utilize what I gave you because you're out of position. You don't know how to utilize it. You gotta use what I gave you to get more. Sometimes we try to just supply our own needs because God's not moving fast enough. God's not on our timeline. So we believe He is able, but it's not happening fast enough. So I'm just gonna go do it this way. And then things don't work out. It takes a struggle sometimes to capitalize on the supply of God. It took an all night struggle battle to capitalize on the promise God had. Jacob was fighting to get in position. How can we produce fruit with a supply we don't know how to plant? It's like um, when I got married, I bought all the tools. That's what you do. I'm a man now. I don't live with my mommy and daddy no more. I'm going to go buy all the tools. I don't know. I don't know nothing about tools. That's my brother. You can ask my dad. He's the mechanical one, my dad says. I've gotten better over the last 
20 years. But just because I got the tool belt don't mean I know how to use the tools because I'm not in position to use the tools even though I got the supply. I never spent the time to fight for what it takes to learn how to use the tools. There wasn't no YouTube back then. Same with barbecue, man. I'm sure you can see the barbecue analogy in this. I got the grill. I got the stainless grill when I got married. And I'd make the burgers, and every time the burgers would be dry and overcooked, and I'd have to call my brother when it was something important, have him come fix the food and recook it because I overcooked the burgers. So I had the supply already, but I was out of position. I didn't know what I was doing with it because I didn't care to put the time in. I didn't battle to learn how to do it the right way. Thankfully, later I did, and some of you might have to try my barbecue sometime. It's pretty good nowadays. 11 years later. Thank you, YouTube. Thank you, God. Our character is out of line sometimes with God's plan, so we waste the supply. My dad, when he was younger and I lived at home, he'd provide good meals scallops oh the scallop word we're talking about supply here when the supply is there but you squander the supply jeff his eyes are bigger than his stomach my dad would always say that's true i'd always take more food than i could eat i'd never finish what i took because i couldn't really eat what i took i couldn't utilize the supply that was available because i wasn't efficient. I couldn't use it. And one day, one day, I happened to take too many scallops. Fish. You know, little things. They're kind of expensive. It's probably eight, maybe nine. Dear God, it was the worst mistake of my life to this day. Just kidding. It was one of my top five, though. He said, you're not getting up from this table until you eat those scallops. You hear me? So I'm trying to eat them. I start gagging. My kids do that now, and I think, don't you gag. And I'm thinking, that's what I did. But I had a real reason. They didn't. And the smell, the scallops just was getting to me. And I was like, please, God, just let this be in. And I think my dad finally gave, gave in because he didn't want me to throw up on his kitchen table. So he said, don't ever do that again. And it, until I was in my 30s, before I tried another scallop, which I still don't like to this day, he socketed my hip. He hit my hip socket. The memory, I'll never overtake the scallops again. I wasted the supply because I squandered a supply of something that was very valuable, but I didn't know what to do with it because I was unprepared and out of line with the purpose of those scallops. To this day, the Israelites avoid the muscle on the hip because it's a reminder. God gave him a reminder. God will give you a reminder when he wants to change you. He'll give you action. God takes action when he does something in your life. He gives you action. It's not just this thought. It's things really happen. Things really change. And God wants to test your faith to see how bad you want his supply. It says Jacob saw his face in the struggle when he was alone. And that's when he knew, I have seen God face to face. See, God can't 
communicate with you when you're distracted by your phone, by people, by the world, by these things. And we say, we can't find God. God, send us your supply. How do I get in position? He says, put down the phone and maybe you would see I'm right in front of you and I'm going to battle you if you want this. That's when Jacob realized that the man was God. Philophany. I think that's the word. Temporary manifestation of God. I don't throw out big words too often. That may be wrong. I'll have to check it when we get done with the sermon here. In order to use the supply, we have to get in position. So now Jacob knew he had a reason. He knew God was able to supply it. And now he was ready to wrestle for position. Without position in that battle, God didn't rename him until he got in position. If I said to you, how many want the promises of God? You'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's some, if the people were in here and got excited, you know, like there's a lot of people. I know some people, they just shout over everything. They're not here today. But if they do, they'd be shouting right then. How many want the promise of God? And they say, yeah, amen, glory to God. Yeah, your will be done. I say, okay, well, then you got a battle. It's going to be hard. It'd get real quiet. So we think, we think promise, delivery, blessing is always this joyful thing, but it's actually a battle. We think it's the devil and it's God struggling with you. My sons are in wrestling. Caleb and Colton, they're in peewee wrestling. And they, they get it on, man. They go hard. They battle it out. And Coach Drew, if you're watching Coach, is a plug. Francis Howell Wrestling, go Vikings. He'll say, it doesn't matter how strong you are. It's all about position, what position you're in. If you're out of position with the basic techniques, you're going to lose the wrestling match. You got to be in position because it don't matter how tough you are. It don't matter how many weights you can lift. If you're out of pad, a position without bad, you have bad technique, you're going to lose the match. Is Caleb, Nick, can you grab Caleb for me? I think this would be a good time to demonstrate a struggle. This is my son, Caleb. Give it up for Caleb, guys. He's six years old. He likes to hit his brother when no one's looking and then say he didn't do anything. It's great. See, when you're out of position, when you're out of position, God's giving you the supply, and you're out of position. You got a reason, but you're not looking when the position comes and God tries to struggle, and boom. You knock down, but you don't get back up. You're not ready for the struggle. You thought it was the devil, but it was God. But see, when you're ready for battle like Jacob and you know that you're going to have to fight all night for a battle in order to get the promise of God and you want the best thing that God has for you, you're willing to fight and you're not going to leave until he blesses you. Ain't that right? You're not going to leave. Shoot, buddy. And you're going to take him down and you're going to fight God until God says, the dawn's going to break. I got to go. And he said, bless me. And the man goes down and Jacob says, I'm not letting you up until you give me the promise, God. That's when Jacob got in position. <laughs> How many have seen a pastor get tackled by a kid on stage? That's great. We're all about being different here at One Seat Church. Bring on the ibuprofen. Just kidding. Give it up for Caleb Daniel. Good job, buddy. You see, Caleb is Jacob, and when Jacob wanted the promise, he fought God until he got the promise. Nothing mattered. And when he fought, he was ready for battle. And he said, I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to battle until I get the blessing, God. 
God said, okay, now you're ready. Now you're in position. Because if you can't beat me in the struggle, you won't be able to do what I have for you in the promise to beat them and to beat the devil and to beat everybody else. I had to test you to make sure you're ready because what you're asking me for is too much. And if you can't beat me, you're not going to beat them and you won't be ready. You have to endure the struggle to get in position. You guys with me? Get a little fired up. You can have the reason and the supply, but if you're not in position, you can't be fruitful. The position is obtained. You're renamed to Israel when you've endured the struggle. After you witness the supply, you have the reason, and you've won the battle with God. God will then provision you to the position with the promise. He renamed Jacob not until after he won the struggle. He didn't rename him Israel before that because Israel is someone who's fought men and God and prevailed. That's why he called him that. And he became the nation, as we know, of Israel. The first time preaching was a while ago. Now it's starting to feel comfortable. But I said, I'm going to do this church thing, and I'm not going to look like a fool. And I may look like a fool to you now, but at least I don't think so. But I'm going to say, I'm not going to look like a fool. So I'm going to preach to my wife every Sunday, and I'm going to preach to my wall and, and talk to the wall. And I would preach to the wall for a year every Sunday. I wouldn't miss. I wouldn't miss nothing. My wife says, do we have to do it today? I said, yes, you got to sit there because i got to be in position. When I get in front of real people to do God's battle for the devil, i got to be ready. So I have to position myself now so when the real church comes, I'm ready for the battle. That's what it takes. It takes a hunger. It takes hunger. I couldn't just sit back and go, God, just send people to the church and I'll sit here for a year and twinkle my thumbs. No. He said, you start preaching in your office. You start spreading the word now. And in a year, you're going to be ready and I'm going to send you people. And you're going to see lives change because you endured until the dawn break and you would not let go until you were blessed by me, says God. All three are necessary in order to find God's purpose for you. Our vision, discover God's perfect plan made just for you. But I don't like to tell people right at front. That means you're going to have a battle, and it might not be fun. And if you really want God's perfect plan for you, you got to fight for it, sometimes for a while. Let me tell you, the devil attacked me last year like never before. Now I see it and I laugh because I know his ways. See, I wasn't ready. I had to endure the battles because I wasn't ready. Now I laugh. I've seen it before. I've seen that before, devil. Come on, man. Are you that? Can't you be more creative, devil? You can't get underneath my feet. Satan, father of lies. Go back to hell, devil. We need to struggle to get in position. Until Jacob got in position, he did not become Israel. Israel was a sign that he was ready to endure for God's kingdom as a leader for God's kingdom. The simplicity of this whole message is just like David. Jacob wanted God's blessing always. No matter all the times he fell short of the glory of God, he still wanted God's blessing and he was willing to fight for it. God was always the center of his walk good times and in bad times, on the mountain, in the valley, he was always at the center of Jacob's walk. 
God gave him the promise. That's what God will do for you. He'll give you the desires of your heart if you keep him number one. Some of you have begged God for a supply that he already gave you, but you're out of position looking this way when the supply's right behind you. Some of you just say, I don't think God really has anything better for me. I think I'm good the way I am. I challenge you to test that. Try giving yourself to God fully and say, not my will be done sincerely. Your will be done, Lord. Everything I do, everything I listen to, everything I speak, everything I say, I don't care what they think of me because they're going to change when they see me because when they see me, they see you. I'm going to give it my all. And you watch, God will change you like you did Jacob. The shift happens when you put your faith in him over everyone else. But expect a storm because God will test you. You're going to think, no, the devil, he's just trying to, no, it's actually God. That's God testing you. He's going to test you. If you're asking him to bless you, he's going to test you. If you're asking for the promise, he's going to test you. And expect persecution from others. I may be hypersensitive, but I see people act different around me than they did a year ago because of this stuff. I don't know what fuels the disconnect if it's because I talk about God more or it makes them feel uncomfortable. I don't really know. But people will go by the wayside in your walk. But the real roots in your relationships with others will stick because those are the ones who will understand and will stick with you. There was no root to begin with if it dries up that easy. Bring the battle. If you guys could stand to your feet as we close. We're going to pray. God, thank you for bringing us together even in the midst of a not so perfect day, in the midst of a light storm. We know there's much worse storms out there, much worse battles. And by the faith we took today to come to you in person and take action, because we know faith is belief and action, we are willing to come here. We are showing our faithfulness. And we demand, Lord, that you bless us. We will not let you go, Lord, until you bless us, because we know you will if we endure like you did Jacob. So we are thankful, Lord, because we know you have great things for us in store. And by our endurance to continue and be consistent, we know that the heavens will open here on earth in Lake St. Louis. And lives will be changed because we were a vessel for your glory and not our own. Touch us as we go about our week. Let us be a light to this community. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen.